Hello and welcome to Kids Media Club podcast. I'm Andy Williams. Hello, welcome along. Uh, I'm Joe Redfern and I am here as ever with Hem- Emily Horgan. And today we're going to be delving into the streaming landscape. Yeah, we're here and we're. I've brought along a friend. I brought along a friend of mine, um, Casey Moore, who is the editor-in-chief of the What's on Netflix website. Um, it's a website that I that I write for and, and myself and Casey have been in touch for a number of years now. Uh, the website is like when I left Disney, um, I I missed my research team and I missed having data available. And then I came across what, the What's on Netflix website and I was like, oh, my gosh, there is so much info on here that is so relevant to industry folks. Um, details about launch dates, d- details about windowing. Um, it captures uh, some of the performance metrics that we talk about often, like uh, trending trending top tens, and now the Netflix Global Hours View t- top tens. And uh, Casey does some really awesome uh, breakdowns of all that stuff. So you're very welcome, Casey. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Cool. And we were just chatting. Um, we were just chatting before this the recording started uh, about uh, around a year ago when we were talking about Netflix uh, with our good friend uh, Brandon Katz and about the things that were upcoming for the streamer in the next kind of, it was at that stage in the next kind of, by the next half of the year, things like ad tier and uh, account sharing crackdown. Uh, and these are all things that have kind of come to pass uh, now. So we're, we're on the other side. And so it's kind of interesting to kind of readdress where we are with, uh, with, where, with where Netflix is with, with kids content. On top of that, there was also last summer where, there was essentially what I, I kind of termed the great cancellation. Um, and it wasn't just Netflix who were subject to that. There was a load of cancellations made kind of in that uh, stomach sucking in moment before earnings uh, where profitability and streaming was, was suddenly being prioritized over subscriber growth. Uh, so it's kind of a good moment to, to re reland on the Netflix kids slate. Um, Casey, I, I'd love to start. Like, what do you see as the biggest change from a kids' media perspective and more broadly, because I know you're looking at it more broadly with kind of sure. the directions that Netflix has taken uh, and where we're at now versus where we were at a year ago? Well, I think it's shifting constantly. I mean, over the last two years, I, I mean, it's that licensing almost was a thing of the past um, for Netflix, especially in the US. But now, now all over the world, we're seeing strategic pickups. We've got the new Sony deal. Um, you know, they, they relanded the DreamWorks, uh, all, all of the animation slate from the TV. Just in the last few weeks in the UK, we've now got the entire Harry Potter collection. Um, it just feels like licensing is back, baby, <laughs> as, as I've explained. Out with yeah, the originals, uh, in with the licensing. <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be. And obviously, kids is a good place to start with that because it tends to be the lesser prioritized um, big, big budget, you know, that people land on the streaming service. But it, it was often the case that it's it's the stuff that people stick around for, particularly, for you know, if you've got families and there's the like one or two titles that they can't live without, you know, that then becomes a must have streaming uh, service. So. Um, yeah, licensing is the real big one, particularly in the last couple of months. Even in the US, I'm now seeing a shift back to that. Um, Warner Brothers Discovery, a lot of licensing Cartoon Network stuff. I'm seeing a lot of Nickelodeon titles uh, return there. Um, and that's in addition to the originals, uh, which has slowed down to an extent, um, uh, but it's uh, it's still there. They're still trucking along. That is music to our ears, <laughs> whereas when folks come on from the broader industry and go, yeah, but kids <laughs> and kids is quite important. So, uh, yeah, I think I think I think we can see that change. I mean, there's been 
that uh, that kind of universal deal that covers output for like movie output at least for um, illumination and DreamWorks and what has been there kind of trucking along. I suppose there was a moment in you know a few years ago where everyone was setting up their own streamers and you and you, I definitely had a question of like is that tap going to be turned off um, in favor of a uh, Universal's own own service Peacock? But that hasn't it hasn't it hasn't happened as regards movies and it continues to truck along as regards TV series. Um, and those DreamWorks TV series are, you know, some of the quality output of, uh, of like some of the quality original output for Netflix. You're talking Gabby's Dollhouse. You're talking Boss Baby, uh, Jurassic World, Camp, Camp Cretaceous or Jurassic Park Camp Cretaceous. Um, and those are like the, some of the key uh, series that we see popping through in terms of actual um, consumption. Yeah, I think if you rewind perhaps to 2019 and look where all the, the distributors were, I think Disney were perhaps the the you know, the, the hardest when it came to turning off the taps for licensing. They basically just turned around and said, no, everything's in-house. We don't want to give anything away to anyone. And that pretty much has been the case. Um, and over the last few months, it's very small, but, but it's happening. We've seen 20th Century now start, license, uh, you know, selling some of their shows off again. Um, we've seen some of the Fox shows licensed again to the US. Um, I, and, and while I don't think Disney is going to be, you know, half in half out as much as some of the other distributors are i do think that is a bit of a a sea change um and as you said at the at the beginning it's it's all to do with money um and and perhaps kids are some of the the easy wins they can make to get some you know license and cash flowing back in without you know throwing off people and, and getting people to unsubscribe um and and going back to that podcast you did in April 2022, you know, you said that exclusivity was the big thing that all of these providers wanted, and uh, and and that has slowly started changing. You know, with um, you know, Coco Melon's pro- probably the best because you can find that literally everywhere at the moment. And that's really interesting, Casey. So, looking at the summer slate, would you be able to kind of highlight some of the kids' shows that are coming up on Netflix um, for their summer slate and? Talk about how that reflects their kind of changing strategy around kids. Sure. So um, I'd say, on, so on the movie front, I think Miraculous Ladybug is perhaps the most interesting. You know, the, it was only a few months ago where we, where it was actually scheduled to leave the Netflix, the series was. Um, I tried to get comment multiple times. No one seemed to know the answer. Um, and then all of a sudden, we're now getting the movie exclusively on Netflix in multiple countries, uh, including the US and UK, uh, the main ones that are not included uh, Europe where it's getting a theatrical release. Uh, And then we're seeing some um, original IP such as uh, The Monkey King, um, uh, which has been in development for maybe four years now at this point. Um, And then we saw the Asterix and Obelix, uh, the the Middle Kingdom that came in in select regions too. Uh, And then Mona is perhaps the biggest one, which was saved from Disney because they cancelled that one. Uh, It was a a development in Fox, uh, the, the 20th century um, so big, big movies, and then a lot of returning series uh, as well. So uh, I, know, I know Emily's particular favourite is Gabby's Dollhouse. That will be back for season eight. Uh, but I'm also uh, so excited about Not Quite Narwhal, which is going to be the new one from DreamWorks, which just sounds adorable. Yeah, that that is that is super brand new, isn't it? I haven't yeah. seen much like pre-branded stuff ahead of time for that, but yeah, that that one's going to be interesting, and and probably the one that sort of like sits alongside Shark Dog um, in terms of like where it where it fits. Um, but a lot of IP too. So My Little Pony is coming back. Um, that's getting a new one. The Dragon Prince is a big, a 
big show and that, that kind of crosses multiple age groups. Uh, and then finally, I'd say the biggest one is Sonic Prime, which did gangbusters with the first season. Yeah, and Sonic, back. even I, I remember looking back, Sonic did such great, even the Sonic movie did such great numbers on Netflix uh, over that time of the Sonic, uh, the, 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 the sequel movie released last summer as well. Like it feels like it's got a real following on the platform. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm in my mid to late twenties, and I know a lot of people my age group who is watching that stuff, even though it's definitely not aimed at them because they grew up on the Sonic games. Yeah. Um, so I think those sort of IP that can cross generations, I think people still will watch it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And and Mario, the Mario movie proved, proved it in bucketfuls, didn't it? So yeah, I, I imagine that they're going to stick with that one. We, I mean, you mentioned a few new IP there, which is great and music to our ears. But obviously, there was the great cancellation, as Emily referred to. Do do you think it's just a symptom of the cyclical nature? And obviously, there's there's you know kind of global economic headwinds. But you know, what's going to happen to that quest for originals? Do you think there'll there'll be a resurgence? We've just got to hold our nerve. Um, it's hard to say. I don't think it's going to be as big as the early days because in the early days of Netflix, I mean, this was across the board, not just with kids. It was just all creator focused. They wanted mm. to get the big names to jump from Netflix, uh, from Disney. You know, uh, you know, brain drain some of the other the other companies. Um, and I think as as we've now got on in a few years, I think Netflix are looking for more reliable hits, uh, and usually that comes uh, with buying IP or IP that is established. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, it's hard for Netflix to do that because most of the most valuable IP is locked up at places that have their own streaming service. So they've had to look elsewhere. Um, so, you know, Sonic is a great example of, you know, it, it was with Sega uh, and then, um, yeah, and that, that presents uh, opportunities there. But I don't think original has gone away completely. I still think Netflix is good, wants the talent. Um, I just mm-hmm. think it's going to be... Uh, a smaller part of the overall mix as we go forward. Yeah. That's interesting. One of the things that crops up a lot in our discussions is we talk about the challenge of discoverability for shows on streamers, particularly on Netflix that has so much content that sometimes it can be a little bit like throwing a baby into the vortex when a new, (laughs) when the new, (laughs) when a new show is created. Um, and I wonder whether you had any thoughts about whether this new mix of kind of legacy established brands and maybe less original brands, do you think that is the kind of in some ways trying to get over that discoverability challenge? Um, perhaps. I, I, think, I think it helps when you know something looking at that within the Netflix app instantly gets you involved. I think we've all sat there scrolling aimlessly for, for hours um, and, and, and something brand new, you know, it often takes a lot of willpower to start something brand new, I find. Um, and particularly with kids where it's, it's just the case where it's a repeat viewing. You know, Nielsen has shown over and over again, particularly on the movie side, that Disney Plus, you know, some of them movies that, you know, they could produce 10 new ones, but Moana still going to be in that top 10 over and over again um, because you know it's 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 just part of someone's routine at that point and I think if you look at Netflix's top 10 you can see you know freshness is the number one driver of, of viewing and that that stuff you know I don't I think people underestimate you know that the top carousel is still the most important real estate Netflix has um, and then the top 10 you know it's mostly pre-branded stuff so you know and that then and 
redrives viewership because that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If it's in the top 10, then surely it's good. So I watched it and then it drives it up even further. Yeah, I think that's something that's a, a real challenge with streaming because back in, back, back in the old days of linear, um, you know, what you would do is you would have like your established shows that were doing gangbusters and then you would use your scheduling to kind of... Uh, as a, to have those as a drop-off point for people to sample other and new things. So you would, you know, have like, you know, a Disney Channel might be like Hannah Montana would be like absolutely dead set. You know, you were going to get an audience. And then after, as a lead out, you would have a new show that was similar that should have some appeal. And, and, and that was the way you kind of drove sampling. And I think that's the key thing with kids. It's like the, the sam- dis- discovery is one thing, but like, sampling and sampling again and sampling again and sampling again because you need to get over that neophobia is what needs to happen and it's one of the reasons why that first 28 day metric just is is so difficult for kids content because kids need to try things a few times before they know whether they like it or not it's something we're really missing in 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 the svod world where everything is so flat and yeah okay you might have a thumbnail at the end of your at the end of your show saying why not try this this and this there's that three carousel pop-up but equally, what is also there, which is way easier, is watch the next episode. And so the, yeah, the, the you know, being, I don't want to say being forced to sample something, but at least, you know, trying something before, you know, it's just not happening. And I think that's one of the reasons why breaking through as a new IP is so challenging. Mm. And I'm wondering whether a lot of that discoverability is actually happening away from Netflix nowadays. 100%. You know, we've seen Made in recent days actually kick back into the top 10. Um, because it just went viral on on TikTok, on, on TikTok. Um, yeah. so I'm I'm wondering whether whether like TikTok and particularly YouTube is probably the best way, you know, uh, because you can put up shorter clips. It you know will engage kids, and then when they go back into the Netflix app, um, then they see it and recognise it. So I'm wondering whether that's yeah. that's where that perhaps is happening the most now. Um, that's actually something I was thinking about recently. Is like, is TikTok the new linear TV? Because like. Th- it's a stream of content that you're being fed, you know, and you can flick up and down. Um, and made like I'm to- like made talk totally got me. Like I, mm. like I was halfway through made and I saw some of the juicy bits. I'm probably not going to go and watch the end because I think I've seen basically how it ends. But TikTok <laughs> did stalk me and make me watch Pretty Woman one time. Like I was just getting all the juicy bits of the movie and I was like, I really want to see that movie now. So like that kind of that that video content is the best way to sell video content kind of conversation and not just like trailers but actually sampling you know sampling the video content is i think you're right very i think you're right yeah it certainly works on 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 other platforms too you know i I heard someone saying a couple of weeks ago that uh tiktok is one of the best ways to get kids to new games on roblox and that's it's it's the same principle is it gameplay Um, footage joe on on yeah 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 um but, but but interesting how you said, you know, we've made too much on there and you don't actually need to go back and watch the rest of the series. I know, but, it's, <laughs> but no one was going to go back and watch the series anyway because it's not being marketed and it's just kind of in the Netflix albums mm. now, you know? So, like, it popped back into the top ten in terms of viewing, like... And then that's a, such a that's such an awkward tension point between, like, marketing engine versus piracy engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. And I, I would also add that when Netflix did their top 10 press release this week they mentioned the tiktok but they linked to their own tiktok video of it um which has next to no engagement on it so <laughs> they're clearly implying Aww. that they were they were in charge of like putting this back into the top 10 but but perhaps yeah. I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether they had to do that because they can't link to copyrighted content that's 
you know, someone else, somewhere else. Maybe they had to get re- a proper release for it. So, yeah, I, I think TikTok becomes is a big asset and a big enemy because, you know, it's sucking up viewing hours and, and it's also stealing your content too, you know, particularly because that the account that was driving it, that wasn't owned by Netflix. It was just some randomer who had recorded this screen. Yeah. And put yeah. up the clips, so you know. It, I, I think it creates a real, um, as as Emily puts it nicely, attention, um, where it's sort of like an asset, but also at the same time, you know, potentially hindering them in the in the long long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds yeah. it reminds me a bit of that. Um, you get kind of merchandise toys where they'll often be based on existing characters, but actually, if they're only if they only do within like a thousand editions. Then it kind of it 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 doesn't um, it doesn't cause any issues really with the copyright, and it almost feels like for Netflix that that stuff just can't go go above a certain level. It's kind of tolerated under a certain level, and if if it goes above a certain level, then I think it causes some some issues. Yeah, we've dis- we've discussed that before, haven't we? That you know, at lower levels, they become your marketing army. Yeah. And then they become problematic when they start eating your lunch. Yeah. <laughs> or like selling your lunch to somebody else and taking the money. Yeah. I yes. mean, have there been any, are there any examples of shows that, you know, Netflix just have put on the pay no mind list and then suddenly they're blown up on TikTok and that's driven driven viewership? Is is that a thing or is that kind of uncommon? It- I don't know. The, the trouble with TikTok is, is it's hard to control it. You know, it, I, I explain it like um, it's like a treadmill going a million miles an hour and occasionally you'll put something on it with the hope that it lands the, at the end. But sometimes it can just spin off the treadmill. Like there's no, sometimes it's, it's like catching lightning in a bottle, really. Um, so I haven't seen that. What, what you do tend to find is, a, is more examples like Made where, where it sort of go quiet. You know, Ginny and Georgia had a massive resurgence mm. and that was before season two was even coming out you know but it's very rare for things to have resurgences in the top 10 it's, it's usually because it's either brand new or or um, you know a sequel is about yeah. to come out and it's in the in the zeitgeist again you know so it's 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 rare but it's it's happening more often um but i can't think of any examples where something flopped to start with and then then came back i think it always has to be you know big up front perhaps for that to happen yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that? Did that account that was had, had all the main videos ever get enforced in the end, Casey? I found one on there that's definitely still going, but I'm not sure if it was the original one. It it looks like it's still 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 all up there. I, I think how TikTok works it is that it, the the audio will be muted, um, perhaps, uh, and and then the video just sort of like dies to death because you can't hear anything. Um, but I don't think they get tagged. Um, I don't. I don't really understand how the TikTok does that, and I don't think any TikTok knows either, because you know it's a hive mind of uh, <laughs> copyrighted clips with at the bottom, you know, someone playing with Play-Doh, isn't it? So it's very, very, very <laughs> odd platform. Yeah. Um, we we've talked a little bit about uh, well, a couple of gaming brands. We mentioned Sonic. Um, in terms of, I mean, I don't know how much you look into the gaming side of Netflix, but how do you how do you see that kind of coming into Netflix's strategy? Obviously, mm. I think still less than five percent of subs use their games, but they do seem to be sticking with it. Yeah, I think we, we posted yesterday that it's now across the sixty 
uh, game mark. Um, and there's yeah. a lot of uh, pre-branded stuff. And actually, what happens? What's happened with a lot of the stuff is uh, is acquisitions. So you know, the Transformers games and the SpongeBob game that's now on there, they did exist um, on, on the Google Play Store and iOS before Netflix picked them up. But obviously, what mm. happens is is that I, I in from what I've seen is that these games have sort of like peaked early on and you know they have pre- well arguably predatory monetization strategies and then once they've sort of passed their prime that's that's it for the game and what netflix games is doing for these is sort of like giving them a new lease of life and taking mm-hmm. away the monetization strategies uh, arguably that it's breaking some of them because some of these games are fundamentally built to suck money from your wallets um, yeah. um but yeah i i don't think we know where netflix games is headed yet um, at the moment, it's just been an acquisition just to fill up th- fill up the carousels. Um, mm. But we know their their ambitions are grander. They're like they're taking on huge studios to do big AAA games, and I, which I actually don't think will reside within Netflix itself. I think they'll be sold off as sort of like uh, proper proper physical releases. Um, yeah, but yeah. It's early days, um, but I think the idea the idea is is that if you're attached to Show X, you're more likely to play Game X. Which then yeah. just keeps you in a self-fulfilling, you know, um, circle. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in terms of dwell time and amount of time spent on the platform, it is, it is going to be a reason to stick around, isn't it? Particularly mm-hmm. as older people are increasingly identifying as gamers. They might be hyper casual gamers, but actually, you know, they they will go and you know think right. I'm going to have a go at the Transformers game, and mm-hmm. if it's easy enough to pick up, they might spend five ten minutes on it. Yeah, and if you're completely addicted and your game save is tied to your Netflix account and they threaten to pull the save if you're not no longer a member, you know, that, that creates an additional yeah, yeah. you know, weight of you sticking around. You know, it's not, yeah. not like T V shows where you can pick them up and go, you know, sometimes if you're addicted to a game you have to play it. So Yeah. And and gaming is a kind of good example of Netflix slightly kind of diversifying, but there's still that sense if you're looking at the shows that they've got coming up on some of the they've got a lot of established brands like sonic or pokemon or my little pony which netflix don't participate in any of the merchandise or spin-off from do you think that is going to continue to be a strategy for them that they're that they're quite happy for you know to buy established brands that have um their own kind of merchandising and and aren't going to be worried about kind of I don't know, the flywheel aspect of yeah. um, Netflix. I think Emily is perhaps more a uh, better place to answer this one. Uh, all I would say is that Netflix is trying to do their own shop. Um, to, to what degree it's working, I, 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 I mean, is, is arguable. But I, I, I think fundamentally what it keeps coming back to is that Netflix is a subscription service and everything else feeds that uh, is from where I'm sitting still. Um, so... I think if if it feeds subscribers and keeping people pretend, uh, you know, in in their in their in their world, I think it's 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 good. But I think it comes with a lot of you need a lot of expertise in in that world, and also that you need a lot of swings, and it, and sometimes they can be expensive misses, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that that's I, I I'd agree with that, Casey. And I think what the way you sum it up there of like that, it's like that laser focus on subscription and. When you're building a brand, sometimes you can't laser focus to one metric. You know what I mean? Particularly when you know when you're looking at you know consumer product revenue coming in, and, and okay, that's not subscription revenue, but like it's all part of what kind of drives that 
that like that brand building. I mean, the Netflix shop, yeah, like they, and they did like a great collaboration with them, Target, I think, in the US and stuff like that. Like they're getting they're getting some products away, but you know, is it like it just doesn't feel at scale to me at least. I know tar- like Target is pretty ex- extensive in the US. I don't know how many stores you know the Netflix merch got into. You know, it's kind of more of a toe dip than a than than a than a than a submersion. Um, that would be my view. I'm quite interested to to know about the ad tier. We spoke about the ad, ad tier earlier. Um, it still kind of confuses me the whole ad tier thing, whether it's been perceived to be successful or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, who, who knows? I, I, I mean, I, I think the, the the issue there is is that it it it. De- depends on what you think the goal is with it in the first place you know i think a lot of the goal with it was to you know provide a lower price tier to you know i think it's good marketing to say that we have the lowest price subscription service again um and that certainly helps them with that um but i don't think they've pushed it as hard as what some people would have wanted because i think that you you know people are happy on the premium tiers and i think it's more of a a a good good way of getting people in the door perhaps to become long-term subscribers um but already we've seen them uh, increase the the um uh how would you say increase the benefits of being on the ad tier because they put it up to 1080p already um and and they're actually making more money off people on the ad tier um because you know people sticking around and good engagement means more ads more, more ads means more money so um but I, I don't think that it's a massive prioritization for them. I do think that it, as the years tick by, I think it will become more. Um, but fundamentally, uh, they've got the libraries on both uh, tiers now pretty much one-to-one um, with some notable exceptions. But yeah. <laughs> with the exception yeah. of the entire DreamWorks TV catalog, Casey, and I will never say it. Like it's the main, from a kid's media point of view, it's like the main original content offering of netflix and it's what works for them and it's been working for them and the fact that it's not on ad tier i think is a massive miss because what does that leave at scale in the kids offering coco melon some of the originals like if you're talking preschool like a load of those originals have all cancelled um you know uh, licenses okay a little bit um but i i i find that personally offensive notwithstanding you finding it personally offensive is there any is there any indication from consumers and subscribers that they find it equally offensive i'm not sure there's enough you know what is it it? five minutes is it five million active yeah something like that yeah it's five five million subscribers it's five million active users so or something like that there was a weird about it wasn't there yeah and 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 if you're in the ad tier i think you'd even struggle to find gabby's dollhouse unless specifically searching for it and then it's just zoned out i don't think it would surface otherwise um so unless you're going out specifically looking for it while in the ad tier i I don't think it would even come into your brain you know unless you're really looking for it so and on the ad tier how how are the ads served on the content is it like youtube the kind of that you kind of have the ads served before and after the Pretty much, yeah. There, there, there are ads uh, in between content sometimes, um, uh, which caused a ruckus too. Because Netflix content, you know, isn't designed around ad advert breaks. You know, there, there are no natural points, I guess. So they had to tag them in the early days. I, I, I don't think that's a 
big a deal as it as it was at the beginning. But yeah, I think it's it, it ranges anywhere between two or three ads um, at the beginning and then at the end too. Right, because I mm. wonder whether that and and is it that you can't skip them? It's like kind of YouTube that oh, you can skip them. Uh, some of them are skippable. Yeah, it's it's a pretty it's pretty much youtube replicated to be honest and and why would you do anything different you know they've been in the game for a long time and clearly know what they're doing so yeah yeah um, youtube are putting in unskippable 30 second ads aren't they now on uh, on connected tv they are hmm. yeah it, see, it seems um it, from I, I mean i don't use the ad tier i do have an account on it but it seemed like a seamless experience oh. and it's the same with the share ad uh, the, the, the the account sharing right now i i find it to be rather soft um, and that's probably the good way to explain both of those uh, strategies is you know it reminds me at the moment as you know when you go on websites and uh, that you, you've got the cookie banner that you want to accept it it seems like that rather than preventing you from forcing to do stuff it's more of a just like a polite reminder pay- and then over time i suspect <laughs> Yeah, uh, that was the same. You know, my dad can still watch my Netflix account. We haven't set up the extra T yet, but I imagine over time that banner is going to get annoying. They'll probably make it a bit harder. And and let's be honest, they'd know the the worst offenders um, of who's sharing their Mm. accounts. So I think, you know, there's 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 going to be people that get hit harder on this and Mm. perhaps they weren't worth the subscription in the first place to Netflix if they were sucking up all of the, the viewership across seven people you know hopefully that one of them will will cancel and then over time three of the, the six come back perhaps and maybe that's the maths they're doing with that i wonder whether yeah. the ad tier also allows them to raise the price of the um their core subscription because because it means that they've got a cheaper option there really whether yeah, psychologically it, 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 that helps it definitely helps i i, I think the, the issue is going to become is is eventually they're going to want more people on the ad tier you know if someone's watching 100 hours worth of netflix a month that is a lot of ad impressions which is going to over you know make the arpu for that user way more than what they would be if they were on a premium tier um which again is why i think they've already improved the offering on the ad tier to be that 1080p um uh, from day dot so yeah i think there's got they're they're going to try and get more people on that in the long term perhaps um while also you know keeping people happy and whenever wherever they are i guess do you think do you think that that's been their strategy all along or maybe they a happy accident happy realization Uh, i don't know i i I, reed was so adamant that they would never have ads uh and for a long time i i believed him so who knows i think it i think it can change you know uh, netflix is a big ship and it's not immune to all the you know the tide changes that come from everyone else so i think it's a wait and see wait and see yeah and i mean on the this all the stuff about the ad tier it's kind of reminding me that netflix have that reputation for being very secretive about stuff how do you kind of navigate that in terms of getting a lot of the data and information that you need i mean over the past three years i mean we've had a data explosion um thanks for the netflix top 10 you know we've got the raw top 10s from flicks Patrol. i love using their stuff um you know every day they capture all the top 10 kids titles which i still think is under you know undercovered by everyone else because the viewing is so significantly less but it's still important um so i love that they they're now capturing that and they actually split the top 10 in, into two recently into tv shows yeah. and movies so we're getting 20 data points from 89 regions every day which is fantastic that's um, 
I didn't even knew that know that existed. Emily, why did you not tell me? <laughs> you follow me on Twitter. Uh, and, and then obviously we get uh, weekly data from Netflix themselves uh, and then they're partnering up with Nielsen so Nielsen uh, delivers a lot of great data every week um, Bob I hope will realise that keeping all of their data behind a paywall is not, not helping them and that we, we, we muggles need to see this as well So, but I think we'll see more partnerships like that um, and and by f- I, I know Netflix in the early days got a lot of tr- um, uh, you know flack for not putting out as much data but I think they're by far the most transparent out of everyone whether it's whether it's enough I don't know but you know Amazon Prime saying 100 million people watch Lord of the Rings means absolutely nothing um, <laughs> yeah yeah um, I, I have a, a, a related question but it's, a, it's about you Casey actually mm-hmm. what made you get into this what made you start this what made you start what's on netflix what was what was the driver um so netflix has only just come out uh, in the uk at that point and i found their um interface to be pretty lacking in, in terms of like what was coming up and what was new that's that's evolved and changed a little bit but a lot of the stuff is rather secretive still so it was more just to dive under and i'd always been interested in websites and creating websites you know i, I did my mum's mm-hmm. website when i was 13 and i put that live and that was getting her clients for her business um so it was always just a case of just building that up and then yeah uh, and then the traffic started rolling in and then and then you find ways to make your coverage more unique because more people started covering netflix um and yeah and really it's just about evolving myself and uh, yeah keeping keeping the website competitive so yeah. Yeah. Such a great resource. I mean, unlike for 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 consumer facing and industry facing alike. I mean, everybody has that problem at Netflix. Like, what do I watch? Um, mm-hmm. And when do I watch it? And then on the on on the industry side, like trying to dig into some of the details on, as I said, licensing, content performance, um, and getting under the skin of some of that is. Is, I don't. Well, I find it, I'm kind of obsessed with doing that, but maybe. Yeah, and the, and the data is really helpful for like doing, you know, predicting for us what what's going to be popular, and and also we can predict cancellations pretty easily nowadays. Um, you know, if if shows don't hit certain marks in the early days, we can do one to one, you know, apples to apples comparisons against other shows. Um, and if something hits, you know, sixty percent decline in week three, eesh, it doesn't look good for that uh, show. Um, so, yeah. Do, do, Having all that access to data has made our coverage, I think, a lot better, better and our predict- predictions pretty good. So, yeah. And we're on the radar of people and, and annoying people, which is uh, always nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's definitely a kind of a valuable service. Um, in terms of predicting kind of the health, of, the long-term health of a show, um, how kind of quickly do you think you, you get an indication of whether that show is going to be renewed? Um, well, the first month is definitely the most important because that's what they prioritise. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, and w- we've also seen and it, and it is the, the Catch-22 problem at the moment they've got is that production on these shows can take a lot of time. You know, if, if something doesn't get renewed until three months after, you know, pre-production then doesn't start for another six months. And then by the time the new show out, is out, is two years gone. Mm. Um, and we're seeing it constantly when so- shows that have to wait two years, they have a significant decline. Um, so I think Netflix is actually going to have to get more confident in advance of titles coming out of giving early renewals. We've seen that with the Night Agent recently and um, the Diplomat all got renewals way before Netflix actually announced them. Um, so the, 
I think Netflix is getting more confident on that front. Um, you know, Shadow and Bone is a really good example. You know, the, the viewership fell off a cliff for that in year two because who's still, you know, it's not fresh in the brain anymore, you know. It, the hunger broadcast, is for it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and so I think that's going to be really important um, going forward. But obviously, Netflix don't have the data at that point. So they're going to have to be tr- pulling the trigger a lot lot earlier. Um, so I think it's about being confident in the com- content choices and actually sticking with something. In the, in, you know, if, if they give Wednesday, for example, two season up front and they're really happy with it going into ahead of season two, they can then give it a season three renew and then ke- keep the ball rolling that way. Particularly on the yeah. season two to season three. Like that's, that's yeah. a much easier bite, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And Sweet Tooth is another good example. You know, they renewed that one ahead of time for a final season because they knew that if they waited for season two to come out, that probably wouldn't have justified it. But if they could keep the cost low by doing it back to back, you know, they, they, they could, you know, end stories, which I think is a, a big problem that you spoke about last time is that you don't want a puddle of shows. You want a deep well of shows. Um, that, that's interesting. Do you think in some ways that means that yeah, the, the kind of criticism of Netflix often is that it's kind of commissioning by algorithm. Um, and But if you've got to make a commitment to uh, a show beyond kind of season one and you've got to do that kind of really before you've got a lot of that data in, do you think that's going to empower the executives in some ways to be kind of more responsible for those decisions and less able to say, well, it was all down to the algorithm? A little bit. I, I, I mean, Netflix executives have always denied that they they run their commissioning based on purely algorithms, but I think they can make choices aided with data. You know, they know what actors people are searching for. Um, yeah. So if they're making a movie and they know that you know Kevin Hart is constantly searched for, he would be a good person to include on that. You know, and I think it's fulfilling a lot of the searches they're still trying to do um, of what people are looking for. But yeah, I I, I think executives know what now plays plays well you know they've got years of their own data um so i think it helps it being informed but at the end of the day you know these are all creative and a lot of things go wrong um between green lighting something to the actual end result you know something that can look great on paper you know and and looks great through production still could not land you know at the end of the day it's it's really tr- this this stuff is tough <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah better mm-hmm. than the me <laughs> <laughs> Do they do they test audience? Do they use test audiences a lot? Have you ever had any insight into how how much they do test beforehand? So at the moment they're rolling out something called the Netflix Preview Club. I know a few people are in it, um, mm-hmm. but they're very strict on the NDAs. Like I know yeah, a yeah. few people are watching the New Beverly Hills uh, Cop film, which is coming out in early 2024, um, and getting um, test results that way. Um, and people have to submit like surveys and whatnot. But mm. yeah, I think that that's going to be rolling out um, uh, uh, over the course. Um, but I don't know like whether they have their own, own internal teams and stuff doing that that kind of thing. Mm. You'd hope they would. I mean, that's that would be a relatively, you know, that would be a relatively standard part of program commissioning. Yeah. that you're able to mm-hmm. do some robust testing on that, and ideally you build a system that you know gives you that that confidence. Mm. Um, yeah, and actually going back and looping back to the kids stuff, um, you know, the, the, renewing stuff in advance, you know, is very, very, you know, that is how animation in kids works, you know, with yeah, huge yeah. upfront orders. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think, you know, going back to that, it's 
it's not too dissimilar to how that works. And, you know, sometimes if you're stuck with a show that you've ordered 70 episodes and it's not working, um, perhaps what you do in the later seasons is dump them all at once um, just because it's not worth the, the, the stage rollout anymore. Mm. Um, no names. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, at, like at Disney, that was in the Disney Junior days when the commission is, you know, that, that, that pipeline was rolling through, um, having launched a new brand, like it was fairly standard. That's a season two. And when I say a season two, I mean that old school season two episode order, not just make you be streaming season two of seven episodes, like a proper order of 20 plus episodes will be greenlit in advance of the series launch in the US. Um, and, you know, because it, the the content had been tested, people had seen it, people were confident and, and you know, you know, if you're going to build that audience, you kind of, you need... And, and, and when would you know that on Linear, whether it was working or not? Well, well this was before it would, e- would even hit Linear, that, that season two oh. that season order would come in. You can see it with, with, with loads of those Disney Junior series back in the day, like Muslim Tomorrow, Lion Guard. Um, It'd be quite common to have like 52 episodes commissioned mm, yeah, yeah. straight out of the gate. Um, yeah. and, and I think what Linear had um, an advantage for, particularly for kind of preschool stuff, is that, you know, you could repeat shows a lot. So it was always there in, mm. in the sort of, in the viewers, kind of, it was reminding the viewer that it existed, whereas repeats don't really exist as a concept on streaming. I had one question, which was, Casey... Could you kind of pick a show that you, a Netflix show you think we'll all be talking about in six months' time? Oh, blimey. <laughs> uh, uh, so, I, I, the Free Body Problem is the one that's on my radar. It's the new show from the Game of Thrones creators. It's, it's based on a, on a book that's very, very complicated. And, and I would say that the Game of Thrones creators don't have a lot of uh, um, goodwill, given what they did to the last season. <laughs> Um, of of that show, so I think that one's going to be spectacular or complete rubbish. So we'll <laughs> so that one's I, I, that one's the big one. But in terms of like another Squid Game, uh, it's it's almost impossible. Like we we you know international shows is really difficult to track. Um, so it's really hard to see that far out. Um, but yeah, the free body problem is the one that's on my radar probably the most. Uh, I, I think it's just set for generally uh, fall. I think okay. uh, by the time this podcast released, there, they'll be announcing more at Tudum uh, uh, on June seventeenth. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Great. I have one more, <laughs> Casey. Do you do you reckon they'll ever get into uh, licensing their originals to third parties? Um, Could pigs fly? Yeah, maybe, but it, I think it depends where. Perhaps I, I don't think they're going to license it to rival streamers. Yeah, I think if if there's somewhere, if it's anywhere, it would probably be like uh, linear TV. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I think a lot of the stuff that they you might think Netflix owns, they don't actually own. Um, and maybe if they own all the streaming rights outright, they might not own the linear. So that might require new deals, perhaps. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't think that's going to be a, a I, the the only thing that I would push back on there is that you know if they are licensed to linear, it's hardly you know a growing, growing pool of money. You know, it's linear is getting smaller and smaller. So, mm. I, so I'm wondering whether it's more the case that they they'll throw more stuff up on YouTube, and uh, with again with the hope that even if they're not making money of it, you know, it's driving people towards the streamer. Yeah. Yeah, 
That's a good point. It's an excellent point. I think about something like The Night Agent, which is so reminiscent of, like, the BBC, like... Uh, the bodyguard kind of drama series. I know it's, it would never be on the BBC because it's so American, but like, you know, if season one of that is available on a linear service, um, it, will, it will drive viewing to season two. I'm not sure yeah. YouTube is the right place for something like full episodes of that. I don't think, I'm, and I know YouTube's changing. It's much more on connected TVs and stuff like that, but it's not somewhere, I think, is it somewhere grown up scope for actually watching like proper content? I don't, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I'm not basing that on any data except for my own gut, but sure, you know. I mean, Disney, Disney are definitely trying this. You know, where they've got stuff on streaming and then then using their ABC to then view it. Hmm. Uh, you know, sh- show it there as well. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how well that's working. Whether that's just filling in a gap that they they haven't programmed for because of whatever reason. Um, you know, it's specific, so at the moment, I think. Yeah, we could, we could see more of that sort of stuff happening, particularly as TV slates are going to get very dry with the WGA strike. Yeah, and you know Netflix is definitely not immune to that either. Yeah. So um, pigs might fly a little bit. May, maybe. <laughs> I, uh, who 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 knows? You know they've they've reversed on bigger things, haven't they? Amazing. Thank you, Casey. That's a super fascinating way to spend forty five minutes. Thanks again, Casey. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Casey from What's on Netflix. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.